You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Karen Manja. Karen is the President and Chief Strategy Officer at Engineered Innovation Group in Indianapolis. She is a Wall Street Journal best-selling author of not one, not two, not three, but four books. Most recently, Success from Anywhere, Create Your Own Future of Work from the Inside Out. And she's also an executive coach and keynote speaker. Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I mean, it was getting kind of lonely in my virtual office, so this is great. <laughs> but we're thrilled to have you, and we, everybody is super excited to be part of this conversation together. So before we begin, what's your fun fact? Besides from the fact that your name in Italian literally translates to eat, which I think should have been my last name all along, just Karen Eat. That's awesome. So I'm totally jealous on a name front. But beyond that, what's your second fun fact? My second fun fact is that I actually am a professionally trained chef, much to the chagrin of my entire Sicilian family. (laughs) I told them I was going to culinary school was, why would you need to go to school for that? You already know how to cook. And I thought to myself, I know the recipes where you put in a pinch of that, a dash of that, you roll it like you roll noodle, it's done. And I thought to myself, I'm sure there's some theory behind this that I would love to learn. And did you learn all that theory? I did learn all of that theory. And as part of my degree, I did an internship in a restaurant, working in the restaurant kitchen. At the same time, I was a sales leader in a Fortune 100 company. The people I worked with in the kitchen knew I had another job and they never asked me what it was. Instead, they assumed for whatever reason that I was a dishwasher at another restaurant. And they would ask me, do you have to go to your other job tomorrow after we worked a light shift? And I would say yes, without ever telling them the other job. What a loss on their part. Look at that. See, when in doubt, ask. Think about what they could. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to do our best not to miss out on any of the mission critical questions that are going to add maximum flavor to this conversation without the calories. So really, what better option could you possibly ask for? Karen, let's start with uh, telling us a little bit more about you. Tell us about your elevator pitch. I am a catalyst. Powers individuals, teams, and organizations to sustain success. You know, when I think about that success from anywhere book, I talk about creating your own future of work from the inside out. And what I've discovered is that sustaining success begins with defining what being successful means to us individually and collectively in any given moment. Yes, yes, it most certainly does. And tell us a little bit about Engineered Innovation Group. At Engineered Innovation Group, we help venture-backed startups and some venture studios, some innovation studios inside of organizations create that first minimum viable product so that they can go attract those first customers and even future investors. And we also help those startup organizations stand up their software team. So Mm -hmm. someone can support that software and product 
that we developed together. So at that point, it does not sound like it's a restaurant startup. I was just using the analogy with a university student who was interviewing me about the day in the life of my job. And I gave her the example, imagine the person who started Yelp before they ever had the app. They would come to us, (laughs) we have this idea. Now we need to build something so we can show people how it would work. I think about it in those simple terms. So I guess we could work with some restaurant people. You could, you could, but you're not opening actual kitchens with with tables where people are sitting in. But okay, I know there's going to be lots of awesome stories coming in from this. So what's your favorite part of your job and why? My favorite part of my job is making an impact. This opportunity to give people space, to help create space. I call it pause, ponder, prioritize. Mm. Really step out of the day-to-day motion of your activity and to be thoughtful, you know, to reconnect with your values, to redefine or define perhaps sometimes for the first time what success looks like and then build a plan together to get there. You know, whether you are in an entrepreneurial organization or an enterprise size organization, the magic is in the momentum, you know, the small steps that lead to big results. And we often get in our own way. And I've done this too. I've bought into the belief that we have to do more to have more to be more and that will sum up to success. And then I've built these big, I call them the five-year, five-phase plans, right? Thinking that's what's necessary to get to a big outcome. And the reality is the five-minute fix is what creates momentum. Anything Mm -hmm. buy in $5, five minutes and with five people is what helps us take the small steps to experiment very quickly and discover what works and what doesn't work. The real magic is in momentum. How do we create momentum? And something I discovered researching success from anywhere is even a 1% daily improvement, meaning five or 10 minutes of something you pilot or try or change or stop, would more than double your impact in 72 days. That's amazing. Yes, in 10 minutes a day, you could be twice as far along in your progress. And what might that do to move you towards success? But if that's not something to get people out of inertia when they're procrastinating something that they're maybe afraid to try a little bit of this, you don't have to dump hours right every day into it, but just one minute, one minute, two minutes each day can can impact. Wow, think about that. Uh, it's almost like compounded interest. Yes, we think about the grand gesture When the five-minute fix helps, think about the number of financial people that talk about cutting out the cup of coffee you purchase out every day, putting that in your retirement savings and how much money you would have upon retirement. This is the time management version of Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that, the time to money analogy. I mean, I've had conversations with my older son about things like why we don't want to smoke and think about if you were to take that, what is it now, 10 bucks a pack or something? I have no idea. I've never smoked, but to take that every day and just put that away and much less invest it. Heck, just stick it in a coffee mug on your desk and think about what that would look like without all the interest. But to invest the time and see that accrue in, in a similar fashion, that's inspiring. That's I'm, All right, there's my first major nugget of the day. So speaking of which, there are, of course, a number of uh, big issues that I'm sure you're working with all of your founders on. So what's a big 
hot topic today and how do you have to adjust your approach with them when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups, not just your founders, but but all different kinds of people? How do you adjust the way you address that issue with each of them? My stakeholders range from customers to prospective customers, to investors, to entrepreneurs, to executives all over the world in companies of all different sizes. And something I've discovered that helps is asking great questions. Hmm. Because the reality is serving that many stakeholders means I can't know everything about everyone. And while we all want to be successful, or we might all feel concerned about the uncertain economic outlook, I don't always have the context about how that specific set of circumstances affects you, the person I'm trying to engage. And what I have discovered and really changed about my leadership style is I used to think that being a great leader or, or great at engaging with stakeholders meant having all the answers. And what I've discovered is it's about asking great questions mm. and not assuming I know what that stakeholder or person in the audience is going to say. Sure, sure. So now, when thinking about all of these different audiences, all these different stakeholder groups, past or present, who's the toughest audience that you ever had to get through to? <laughs> I'll never forget the time I was working at a very big publicly traded company. And my role was to lead a team of people responsible for getting feedback from our customers. And our executives were thinking about a new strategic direction for the company. And they wisely wanted to test how customers might react first. And we did everything that you would expect. We asked what they wanted to know, how they planned to use the information, who they wanted to hear from. And we went out and did what we felt was great work. And the challenge that I faced walking into that presentation was that I knew what they expected and wanted to hear did not align with our customers' expectations. Mm. Now, remove from the fact or perhaps place on the sideline for a moment that there's clearly a gap in their title level and influence and, frankly, power over my future sure budget. Think specifically about what happens when you reach an executive suite of a large enterprise. You are there because what has been reinforced to you multiple times is you're smart, you're strategic, you're insightful, you know what's supposed to happen next. I'll use that phrase loosely. And as I thought about that conversation, I realized they were looking for information that would validate what they already decided they wanted to do. Mm. The challenge is what they wanted to do was not at all what our customers wanted us to do. I played out a scenario in my mind of being fired, being permanently sidelined, losing all of our budget, everything you would expect going into that difficult conversation where ego could really trump the yeah. feedback that the customers provided. So what happened? What happened was a series of pre-meetings mm. with each executive one person at a time and presented the facts. I mean, here is the data. And I watched and listened to their reaction. 
And sometimes it was people felt the data was accusatory toward them. It was making Mm. them wrong. And so I did what we were just talking about a moment ago. I asked more questions. And one of the most important questions I asked was, why does this matter to you so much? Mm. This being right or this being wrong or this strategic direction. What that made it possible to do was to go into that executive conversation and say, this is the data. I can give you the data. By the way, some people did actually have their own teams check our data and make sure that, you know, the decimal points were in the right place and our sampling was statistically correct and everything Mm -hmm. you might expect. That's the beauty of facts. We could turn over our data to anyone else and they could reach the same conclusion. What I did, though, instead of that slide where you put in the recommendations of what we do next, I instead asked a question, in light of the feedback that we've received, what do you believe are the next best actions we can Mm. do? So what happened? What happened in that moment is I put myself in a position and my team in a position to be of service and to be respectful of the gap between what they expected and what our customers expected. And we were able to have a productive conversation because no one felt there was an accusatory finger pointed their way. The the facts were presented in the context of, now what could we do about this together? And I took away a powerful lesson from that experience that regardless of who your audience is, Creating a scenario of win, lose, or us versus them means everybody loses. Yes. Same with right or wrong. Any kind of binary where it's a zero sum, one person has to look bad, be the loser, be wrong, et cetera, for the other person to feel right or validated or affirmed or whatever else. Ugh, complete recipe for disaster. And that's that's my also add a little pinch of this, a little sprinkle of that recipe. But on the whole, I find it's pretty accurate. So how did you, and in the end, you got to the result that you were looking for and everybody left, if not thrilled, happy, satisfied, and heads still attached to bodies and careers intact. Heads still attached to body, careers still intact. And what that conversation and shifting the conversation gave us the opportunity to do was have a seat at the table in brainstorming, what else could this be? Yes. Ultimately, we came up with a different strategy and a different go-to-market plan that was successful. And we retained relationships, Mm. stayed and remained as trusted advisors. And we were trusted with more responsibilities and access in the future because of how we handled what could have been a very politically charged situation. Impressive. Lots of notes taken on that one. Now, let's turn back time a little bit here. When you first went from being an individual contributor to leading your first team, what's an important lesson that you learned? Put an email in draft before you hit send. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like it could be painful. I think many of us have regretted not making that decision. We've definitely all had those moments where we wish you could hit unsend, realize we hit CC all as opposed to or copy all and rather than just reply to one. There's yeah, email is is a wonderful space for us to um, learn humility. I, I find it's a really good playground there. 
So here's an opportunity for us to levy a little challenge with hopefully far more positive impact on our audience. It's time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Karen, this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? What I've discovered is if everything is important, then nothing is important. Mm -hmm. And what I would like to challenge your listeners to do is to pose three questions and a bonus question to your calendar and to your to-do list. These three questions and bonus question work equally as well personally as well as professionally. Okay. They are first, does it have to be? Second, does it have to be me? Third, does it have to be me right now? Bonus question for the win. Does it have to be a meeting? What we were talking about earlier in the show was how to create space. Yes. Five minute fix and create space to build momentum toward what matters most to you, whether that's running in a race or growing sales for your team or starting a company. Those three questions and a bonus question will help you distill what's most important, what matters, and then take it a step further to create space for who and what matters most to you personally and professionally. Love it. Okay, so let's let's recap those those three questions and a bonus question to ask yourself. And the purpose of this is to make sure that you're making space for your priorities and getting what needs to get done done and not killing time on a bunch of other perhaps urgent but not important or not even so urgent, much less important, but... Uh, other stuff that eats into our days. So question number one, you said, does it have to be like, does it have to happen at all? Number two, if so, am I the one who has to do it? Does it have to be me? Number three, does it have to be now? And bonus question, does it have to be a meeting? Yes. So hopefully everybody else got it. If not, hit replay, rewind 15, 30 seconds, something along those lines. Pause the, put a Pull the car over, open your note app, or pull out a piece of pen, a piece of paper and a pen. Jot those four questions down because I think you will save up an awful lot of time and free up that space for stuff that you really actually want to be doing. That's, that's my thought. When you have space for the things you want to do, it just uh, makes life a lot easier. So get those other things out of the way. All right, moving on. Tell us about a communication related mistake that you've made, Karen. What's something we ought to sidestep? <laughs> We talked about the challenge of email. Another communication misstep is lecturing rather than listening. I think about what happens in customer advisory boards, customer presentations, one-on-one meetings with your boss. And I think about this, particularly as a leader, how much time do you spend listening Versus lecturing. I mean, if you leave a one-on-one with one of your colleagues or employees and you've spoken 95% of the time and they've spoken 5%, I wonder how that went from their point of view. And I've made that mistake, especially in meetings with customers where, you know, you get into the sales call or the advisory board and you have so much you want to share. Plus, you've worked so hard on those PowerPoint slides after all, right? You want to show all of them and somehow you get to the end and the customer never gets to talk. I have lost deals that way because the customer didn't feel seen, heard, and have time to contribute to the conversation. Therefore, we missed in those conversations 
what mattered most to the customers, the actual outcomes they were trying to get to and how they could have coached us if we had created space for them to contribute to the conversation. What a neat idea, creating space for someone else to talk. So if there's a lesson that some of us, and I'm going to throw myself right under the bus here, could stand to learn a little bit more often as well. Now, what about an approach that you have found successful when addressing accountability issues with people on your team? First of all, it is challenging to have those conversations. I know I have dreaded them. I know having a conversation with an underperforming employee or colleague is critical to the success of the whole team because everyone knows what's happening and they're just watching to see mm. where and more importantly, are you going to do something about it? Yeah. The fishbowl. Yes, the fishbowl. And I have discovered two strategies that help. The first is facts, facts, facts. This needs to be as tangible as possible. This is the expectation. This was how the expectation was missed. Again, back to the point earlier of checking our survey data, you should be able to hand these same facts to your HR person or to your mentor or to your boss, and they should be able to reach the same conclusion that there is a performance gap. The second is a framework. So I think about facts and a framework. In those difficult conversations, we tend to do two things, and I have done them myself. The first is I've started with the pleasantries or the positive or, you know, trying to set the tone for this upbeat meeting. Mm -hmm. That's unfair to the person you're having the conversation with. So I open with what the situation is. And that's the first step in the framework I'll share. The second is we tend to get very wordy. You know, it's we're uncomfortable with delivering this to the point message. And that's why I have found this framework to be so helpful. It's called SIPAB. And here's what it stands for. Situation. So literally, what is the situation? It could be as simple as we're here to have a conversation about 27 missed deadlines. That's pretty simple. That's the situation, right? Complication. Complication. What's what's making this a problem, right? So the complication could be, and therefore other teammates are missing their deadlines as well mm-hmm. and have to work extra hours to compensate for this. Implication. So situation, complication, implication. So the implication is kind of the so what. The implication in this case may be we may not be able to continue your role in the team here as a result. You may lose your job. Position. My position is that we need to have a conversation about what I might be missing that's contributing to these missed deadlines. Action. We're going to build a plan together for how to address this benefit. We can get you on the right path to keep your role and have an opportunity to be successful here. Situation, complication, implication, position, action, benefit. SIPAB. Yeah, SIPAB. What I've discovered as critical is to think about those simple statements in advance of the conversation so that you're comfortable delivering that message following that framework. And in many of the performance conversations I've had, you can lay that out in 10 minutes or less and then pause. A great next question to ask the person you're having a conversation with is, what context might I be missing? Or Mm. what would you add or change in this conversation? That's the beginning of having a difficult conversation that can be productive, 
and to the point and lead to something you could do, try or change together. And it's not just about here's everything that I think is wrong with you and now find what's your rebuttal kind of a thing. I, I like the framing of what context or what else might I be missing, what might be off, what might, but opening to, to um, a little effort, to additional perspective, op- opening it to dialogue, opening to say, is there anything that's doesn't seem accurate to you from this, but if it's all fact, maybe there is something that's inaccurate. So there's opening space for that. Maybe a memo got missed, got lost along the way. Maybe, you know, who knows what could have happened, but it is opening to the possibility that there is uh, a missed detail. You're not just assuming that you're right and the guillotine's already, uh, you know, set and ready to go, neck size measured preemptively in your sleep kind of a thing. So that that's a very open way to, uh, to me, at least it feels a much more collaborative and giving me the benefit of the doubt than just a a personal attack. Yes. And what I like about what you're saying is taking defensiveness out of the conversation to the degree that that's possible. Yes. When you said that, it reminded me, I have borrowed from the Brene Brown framework successfully in the past, the story I'm telling myself is. Mm -hmm. The story I'm telling myself is you're really disengaged at work and you don't want to be here. Or the story I'm telling myself is this job isn't a fit for you. The story I'm telling myself is, I mean, fill in the blank. What I like about that framework is I then put out the assumption I've made so that you can let me know if that's correct or not. And the way, just that simple framing, the story I'm telling myself is, lets your listener know this is my assumption and how I see it. Let me know what might be, you know, right or, or where I might need a different perception. And to make sure that everybody who's listening is putting things in the right context, that that would be the follow-up after the SIPEP, after the framework of saying, let's look at the the situation, the complication, implication, et cetera. Once we've laid out all the facts, then prior to inviting the other person to share edits or whatever they want is for you to then say, so from those, the, the issue is that the story that I'm telling myself, when I look at these objective facts... What I'm inferring is that, and I'm recognizing that I could be wrong in this, so help me, but the story that I'm telling myself, the story that's in my head is that it seems like you're not engaged. And that's why these facts have come to light. That's why these, this issue has arisen. Please help me understand what I'm misinterpreting here. That's it. So you're also allowing for yourself to be more human that way as, as well. You're telling what how it's landing for you because it is landing. And if you're not engaged, well, let's deal with that accordingly. Because if that's the problem, that's very different from, no, you're engaged, but you don't have the tools that you need to be able to do your job well. Yes. And what I've discovered is it opens up the conversation a little bit more as opposed to I see this and this is the only possible outcome. And now we've really narrowed it down. And to your point, that's how people start to get defensive because they feel like there's no space to share their side of the story and what you might be missing because we're all human. Even as leaders, no matter how long you've been leading people, we still miss things. Then there are still things that sometimes our employees aren't yet comfortable sharing, you know, that are happening in their personal lives that we're just up at work, we might think they've given up. And then what they reveal is I'm going through a divorce and I was hoping not to bring it here. It's showing up. You have a different kind of conversation and you look in the direction of possibilities and what choices you could create together. It just sets up a very different conversation. Yes. Yes. So 
Then what about in within the organization? And again, it could be whether it's in this current organization or in any past organization. If someone wanted to move up into a senior leadership role, aside from technical expertise, what's one skill they'd have to demonstrate and why? One of the most important skills I look for as people want to progress is the ability to strategically think through situations they have not been in before and mm. in with people who have roles they have not held before. And I'll give you an example. I was going to say, yeah, how can, how can they do that? How do they show you that? I have worked in sales and sales leadership. I've worked in customer listening. I have done those jobs. And when I lead people who do those jobs, I know the questions to ask because I know the job. Now, when I took over leading a team doing customer experience, I, for the first time, had people on my team who held roles like data scientists, Hmm. magical things with numbers that I didn't know, using classes and knowledge that I fell asleep in during university. And then suddenly, I mean, our success became intertwined. And it's the ability to ask critical questions. The ability to ask, what do you need so that, you know, when I'm engaging with data scientists, I can ask, what do you need so that we can have the data ready for a review with my boss two weeks from now? I've never done that role. I have no idea if I'm asking that person to do 95 hours of work a week or whether that's nine minutes and they say we could talk to the boss in an hour from now. It's thinking about what are the questions to ask that open up the discovery process so that you can identify risks and how to mitigate them, opportunities and how to advance them. Yes. So I really look for that strategic thinking, asking great questions, and really how do you sit with uncertainty, right? At the end of the day, leading something you haven't done before is an uncertain moment. And that's a terrifying prospect for people who, you know, might have a little control freak side to their personality, might enjoy things when they know exactly how to control it, what to predict. They they know how to anticipate and they don't like variables. They like constants. And yeah, moving into the higher and higher levels of leadership, there's just going to be that many more variables that are going to come at you right, left and center. So the uh, notion of dealing with the unknown, the unpredictable, the uncontrollable, uh, and how does that sit with you? Can you handle that? Or do you just never sleep again? That doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. All right. Finally, real quickly, as Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what's one communication pattern that's had a huge impact, positive or negative, on a team that you've been on or led? I'll never forget leading a large global team. And for us to even find what I referred to as the one golden hour that we could be together live was a challenge. And we would take turns alternating the inconvenience of that golden hour so that we mm. together. And I'm talking from South Africa to the Czech Republic to the UK, all the way to the West Coast on Pacific time zone. Indeed. And what we wanted and needed for the culture of the team was a sense of camaraderie and community and belonging. And I was managing managers at that point. And one of the managers came to me and said, I have an idea. I think because we have this golden hour, We spend it on facts, the state of the business, you know, what needs to be done. Understandably, what we need is a little bit more fun. 
a way to bring this cultural intention to life in a way that everyone can participate regardless of time zone. Mm-hmm. That became the culture club. <laughs> and the team opted in if they wanted to be on the culture club committee to think through how would we bring our intended culture and our values, candidly, to life and experiences for the team. That resulted in Spirit Week. Ah. And in Spirit Week, it was just like being in school. One day you might receive the fun care package. One day everyone might wear, you know, a favorite hat, dress up as a famous character. Another day it's match the baby photo to the person on the team. You would earn points for your participation in Spirit Week. And it culminated at the end with something I associate with a pep rally, but essentially it was bringing people together for the purpose of having fun and just making space for these shared activities and people could post pictures and, you know, everything that you would imagine that goes with that created a camaraderie that really changed how we communicated with each other. And candidly, the culture club became known throughout a lot of our company, which was a huge company with 75,000 employees. Oh my goodness. That culture, that culture club and the intentionality behind connection, regardless of where you are, helped us recruit lots of people to join our team because they wanted to be a part of a place where not only were we getting things done and being successful and getting access and accomplishing our goals, we were also having a great time and people could be seen and heard. It changed everything for us and it changed how I communicated as a leader. I I would imagine that. Please tell me that Boy George was your mascot for the Culture Club. Of course, yes. Yay! (laughs) All of our Gen Xers out there know what we're talking about. Uh, the millennials and the, the Gen Zs and anybody um, the younger and listening is going to have to uh, go look that one up. Go to YouTube, check out Boy George. Any favorite songs that you want to recommend they listen to as their official intro to Boy George and Culture Club? I mean, I think you just need to do the greatest hits. I, I have to believe someone. A little Karma that. Chameleon. Yes. Something along those lines. Okay. Let's go. The, that was the, the beginnings. Of course, anybody who's in the boomer generation may be rolling their eyes going, oh my God, my kids listened to that junk back in the day. But I'm going to recommend it anyway, just because it's fun. And that was the whole theme of this final point. Yes? Yes. Perfect. So with that, Karen, is there anything you'd like to give our audience today? What I've discovered is that when you change your story, you change your results. And so I have created two free assets to empower people to become that success catalyst we were talking about earlier in my elevator pitch. Whether you are looking for a new job, looking to get promoted in your current job, or you have a big dream or goal that you want to accomplish. I have two free assets. I do not ask for your email. I do not track you. Wow. Yes, they're on my website. One is called the Career Companion. So this will help you in your career, advancing it, finding one, changing one. The second is called Dare to Dream. And if you connect with me on LinkedIn, I've been doing a series of videos where each week I take you through one section. So there's a little live tutorial as well to help you make that asset your own and to contribute to your success. Love it. Two free gifts. Don't have to give your email, nothing. And where can people get this? You can find it on my website, readsuccessfromanywhere.com. And if you just scroll down, you'll see the two images there. You can also find the videos on LinkedIn today. In fact, I talked most recently about how to activate your allies as you're in pursuit of a big dream or goal. 
Love it. Okay, so the the URL is readsuccessfromanywhere.com. And of course, we'll put this in the show notes as well. So if people uh, didn't have a chance to write it down, we will make sure that you have access to it at any time moving forward. So this has been so much fun. I'm sorry to have to wrap this conversation up. Karen, how can people learn more about you and your company? You can find me on LinkedIn. Or if you prefer Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, I'm in all those places regularly sharing new content. And for more about the company, check out engineeredinnovationgroup.com. And of course, we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. This has been so much fun, Karen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Great to meet you and great to be here. And to everybody else, thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode if it's your first time joining us today. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.